Thanks for joining us today on the School Care Matters. In this series, we're unpacking the Indiana Department of Education's seven social emotional competencies. I'm Shane Presley from the School Care Team, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Tina Wooldridge and Karen Nobinger from the School Care Team. Both Tina and Karen are social emotional wellness specialists and regional trainers for the Sources of Strength Wellness Program in Northeast Indiana. Welcome. This is the third in a series of discussions about the SEL competencies. Before we jump into talking about the second competency, let's recap what we talked about the last time. Sure. We talked about the first SEL competency, which is sensory motor integration, or the ability to sense and recognize sensations in the body and how they connect to emotions. Right. We said that modeling all of these competencies looks like simply being intentional about explaining and demonstrating what we already do internally. Mm-hmm. Then we offered some activities for identifying the location in the body of emotions we're experiencing, like body mapping. We finished up by talking about strategies like 54321 grounding exercises and activities that cross the midline. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the second SEL competency, which is insight. Right. So, what exactly is meant by insight in terms of social emotional learning? Well, our definition is the ability to identify one's emotions and understand how they affect one's thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Mm. Insight is not included in Castle's original framework for SEL. How does it fit into that framework? Castle includes relationship skills as one of their five core competencies. Insight is foundational to developing healthy relationships as through insight, We establish the basics of clear and honest communication. Mm. We've been talking about how we measure competency. What are the skills or indicators that let us know that we or our students are competent in insight? People with insight are able to name their current emotions and then communicate the connection between their experienced emotion and a met or an unmet need. Mm, Interesting. So how do we develop insight in our lives and in our teaching practice? Well, again, the same strategies and activities we use with our students, which we'll talk about in a minute, will work for us as well. Skills like using affective communication and learning how to have a restorative conversation model for students how to communicate their emotions and needs and develop empathy. Mm. Teachers and parents will also benefit from the practice of connecting met and unmet needs to their emotions and practicing the art of communicating clearly. Mm, Something we need, certainly. So can you talk more about effective communication and restorative conversations? Yes, we'll be introducing those later. In our talk on sensory motor integration, we discussed how physical sensations can be connected to our emotions and how to practice differentiating between physical sensations that are caused by physical needs and sensations that are caused by emotions or the activation of our sympathetic Mm. and parasympathetic nervous systems. Now let's take it a step further. Let's say you're having a very stressful day and you've developed a headache. Your neck is sore and stiff. Well, because you've been practicing sensory motor integration, you know your headache and sore neck are connected to stress and not to illness or allergy. Right. Insight will help you to name the emotion that's underlying the physical sensation you're having. Okay. So in the example I just shared, Shane, what might be the emotion you're feeling? 
probably anxiety? Yeah, sure. Anxiety would be a very likely emotion that would underlie those physical symptoms. The next skill developed through insight would be to connect that emotion, anxiety, to a specific unmet need. Mm. For you, what unmet need might bring up anxiety or feeling overwhelmed? Well, that's a loaded question. I can get pretty anxious when I know that I have a deadline coming up Mm. and uh, I'm not sure if I can meet it. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like being effective in your work is really important to you. Would you agree? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So in our example, your unmet need would be effectiveness. Your insight has allowed you to understand what you're feeling at a deeper level. And now you can work to alleviate your anxiety, perhaps by making a detailed plan about how you'll meet your deadlines. Hmm. I see. So how would we model insight for our students? Well, the first step is to develop vocabulary that provides us with the emotion and need words to use. One way to do this, as we mentioned in the last episode, is to display a word wall at home or in your classroom. Hmm. Include emotion words that are appropriate for your student's age, and make sure to include emotions that reflect met needs as well as unmet needs. Students can learn that emotions don't have a value. There aren't some that are positive and some that are negative. Emotions are just that, emotions. So how we choose to behave in light of those emotions can have positive or negative consequences. What exactly do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Have you ever felt so excited about an upcoming vacation that your ability to concentrate on your work suffers and you miss an important deadline? Yes, I suppose I have. Well, that would be an example of having what most would call a positive emotion, excitement, but choosing a behavior related to it that causes a negative consequence. Hmm. I see. So on the other hand, I could get really angry at someone, but choose to think it through and decide to talk with them about what made me angry instead of yelling at them. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) So I guess it would be important to use vocabulary on the word wall in class to help students understand. That's right. We call that using affective communication. An easy way to start modeling this to your students is by using this sentence frame. You state an observation... Then you identify your feeling, you identify the need that underlies that feeling, and then you make a request of the person you're talking to that might help you out. So let me give you an example. You might say, I notice, and then you make a factual observation about what is happening. Okay. Then you say, I feel, and you name your emotion. Okay. You state, because I have a need for whatever the met or unmet need is, Mm-hmm. And then make a request. Would you consider hmm. something that might help you out? So in our example about feeling anxious, you could use this sentence to communicate to your partner what you're experiencing. I'll do that for you now. You might say, I notice I'm often coming right up against my deadlines at work. I feel anxious because I have a need to be effective at my job. Would you consider helping me to develop a better plan to meet my deadlines? Wow, that's helpful. So what if students aren't quite ready, though, to put their sentences together by themselves? Hmm, That's a great question. It's not always easy to communicate our emotions, especially if we're feeling them in a big way. (laughs) Right. In fact, if a person, regardless of their age, is emotionally dysregulated, one of the consequences of the upper and lower brain not communicating is that we lose access to the language center of the brain called Broca's area. That's why it can be so hard to describe what's happened when we experience trauma. 
we have the memory, but because we couldn't access language during the experience, we don't have the story that goes along with the memory. Wow. If students are struggling to use affective language, we can help them by asking questions and allowing them to point to the answer before saying them. So you could lead them through the affective statement by asking them what happened, what are you feeling, what do you need, and how can I help? Hmm. So can you give me an example of what that conversation could look like? Well, sure. Let's do a little role play. Okay. You can be the adult. And I will be a student in your class who is having a conflict with another student. Okay. Karen, what happened? Well, Shawnee called me stupid and then wouldn't let me play the game at recess. What are you feeling? I'm mad at her. I thought she was my friend. What do you need? I think I need to know why she said that. It sounds like your friendship has been hurt. Is that right? Yeah. How can I help? Can you help me talk to her about it? Yes, I can. Let's get your sentence frame for hard conversation and practice together. How would you fill in the blanks? Hmm. Um, Shawnee, I noticed that you didn't include me in the game at recess, and you called me stupid. I feel mad right now because I have a need to trust our friendship. Would you consider telling me why you'd said and did those things? That's great, Karen. Are you ready to talk to Shawnee now? Sure. Thanks for helping with that, Shane. Sure. You can see how, as the adult, you help me, the student, to connect my needs with my feelings, and you help me to choose the vocabulary that was appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. It really felt pretty natural, even though I've never tried to talk with someone that way. Yeah, that's right. Using affective communication is definitely a learned skill, but when you stick to the script, it can become very natural pretty quickly. Because it works. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some other ways that we can help students develop insight? Another great way to develop insight is to incorporate the restorative practice of community circles in your classroom. Are you familiar with restorative practices? I am, but maybe not all of our listeners are. So a quick description of restorative practices would be the practices and procedures that provide a framework for building community and for responding to challenges through intentional communication, working toward understanding, and repairing harm. Mm. You can see how using affective communication is a foundational piece of restorative practices. The next step is to start using community circles in your classroom. Through meaningful discussions about current events, problem solving, and planning together, students can try on the new vocabulary they're learning in a safe arena. Community circles highlight the value of the whole community, Mm -hmm. and they encourage trying new skills even if we make mistakes. And community circles foster the development of empathy as students hear and understand one another's stories. Wow, that sounds like a powerful exercise. In your definition of insight, you mentioned that it has something to do with thoughts. Can you elaborate? Sure. Another concept we want our students to develop is the idea that our own private thoughts often drive our responses to events that happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you sent me a text and I didn't answer right away, what would you think? Hmm. Well, I suppose I might think you were mad at me or that you were avoiding me for some reason. Okay. And what emotions would those thoughts bring up for you? Well, I might get angry at first and then probably anxious, wondering if I'd done something to offend you. Hmm. Sounds like anxiety comes up a lot for you. Mm, Yes, it might. 
Okay, so what you've just described is what we would call an automatic response. At some point in your life, you started thinking that if a person doesn't respond to you right away, that means that you've likely done something wrong. Okay, what you've just described is what we would call an automatic response. At some point in your life, you started thinking that if a person doesn't respond to you right away, that means that you've likely done something wrong. Now, what might be some other reasons I wouldn't respond to your text immediately? Uh, well, you could be in a meeting, uh, you could potentially have your phone turned off, or even be driving somewhere. Yeah. So there are many reasons that I might not respond right away, and most of them have nothing to do with anything that you have done. <laughs> right. If we work to develop insight into what our automatic responses are and the thoughts that drive them, we can learn to evaluate our thoughts and decide if they're helping us or hurting us in our responses. Hmm. Using the questions we talked about before, what happened, what are you feeling, what do you need, and how can I help, hmm. we can help students to begin to uncover their automatic responses by including two more questions. What were you thinking and what have you thought about since? Mm. Students will begin to understand if their initial thoughts were appropriate for the situation or if there were other ways they could think about it. Then they can decide what would help them in the situation at hand. Those questions are the heart of restorative practices. Wow. I'm beginning to see how important it is for adults as well as students to develop greater insight. Right. Let's look at another model for developing insight that's called the ABC model. When we train school staff, we often ask them to list the top stressors they and their colleagues face. Not surprisingly, their responses are similar regardless of which school. Family and relationship issues, work-life balance, health concerns, financial problems. Yeah, those sound about right. What if I told you that none of those causes stress? Mm. Psychologist Albert Ellis believed that people are not disturbed by things, but rather by their view of things. In other words, how we feel is largely influenced by how we think. Mm -hmm. Ellis suggested that people mistakenly blame external events for their stress and unhappiness. And he argued that it's actually our interpretation of these events that truly lies at the heart of our feelings and responses. Wow. Ellis developed what he referred to as the ABC model, where A stands for the activating event, which is something that happens in the environment around you. Mm -hmm. B stands for beliefs. So those are the beliefs that we hold about the event or the situation. And then C stands for the consequences. And this means that you have an emotional response to your belief. Hmm. So just to recap, that's activating event, beliefs, and consequences. Right. So the situations we encounter are only one piece of the puzzle. Ellis taught that we have to investigate the beliefs we hold about those experiences and then the emotions that arise and the behaviors and consequences that result from our beliefs. Mm. Often when we closely examine our beliefs, they turn out to be irrational. Right. I don't like to think of myself or my thoughts or beliefs as irrational. Well, if it helps, we all do it. So in many cases, irrational beliefs are reflected as absolutes, as in statements like, I must or I can't, or they must. Mm. So according to Ellis, some of the most common irrational beliefs are these. Other people's mistakes or misconduct are directed at me. So this is what we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. We mm -hmm. believe things are directed towards us. Mm -hmm. I must be completely competent and successful to be mm -hmm. valued and worthy. Mm -hmm. 
I'll be happier if I avoid life's challenges or numb life's pain. Mm. And I have no control over my own happiness. My contentment and joy are dependent on external factors. I have definitely shared some of those. Mm -hmm. So think about our earlier example where you believe that a delayed response to a text is directed toward you rather than resulting from external circumstances. Okay. So by holding unyielding beliefs, it becomes nearly impossible for us to respond to situations in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Rigid expectations of ourselves and others can lead us to disappointment, regret, and anxiety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The ABC model seems like it could be really useful in identifying our unhelpful thought patterns. Mm -hmm. An updated ABC model includes a D and an E. So once we identify our underlying thoughts, the next step for D is to directly challenge and dispute mistaken beliefs. And then once we've disputed our own faulty beliefs, we're free to adopt and implement new, more effective beliefs. Mm. Let me see if I remember this process. There is A, activating event, B, beliefs, C, consequences, or the behavior that results, D, dispute my unhelpful thoughts, and E, replace them with more effective beliefs. You got it. While external factors can certainly negatively impact our lives, it's incredibly empowering to realize that we choose what we believe and how we react and respond. This doesn't mean that no harm comes to those with positive attitudes, but mm -hmm. it does mean that we have choices about how to engage in stressful times and in good times. Mm. Examining what you believe about life stressors and replacing any irrational beliefs with kinder, gentler beliefs could dramatically reduce stress and lead to greater insight. Mm. Once we've developed insight, it's easier to regulate our emotions and the resulting behaviors. Wow, such good information today. 